Good morning. All right, so happy Easter, everybody. Glad that you guys have come to worship Jesus and the fact that he uh, died to save us from our sins and rose again three days later, that we get to celebrate that today. So kids, if you would, go ahead and raise up your hands for me so I can see where you guys are at. All right, so my first question for you is, what did we celebrate on Friday? What day is it? What day is Friday? Jaren. The day that Jesus died on the cross. What do we call that day? Everybody at once. Good Friday. Good Friday. Well, wait, you just told me that Jesus died. That doesn't sound like a good thing. How's it a good thing? What do you got, Levi? He wiped all our sins away. So that's not just a good thing. That's a great thing, right? So Jesus died on Friday, and we celebrate it as Good Friday. So what's today then? Easter Sunday. Sunday. What do we celebrate on Easter Sunday? What do you got, Silas? Him raising from the dead, right? And that is, that's kind of the most fantastic part. Like, it's, it's great that Jesus died from our sins. It's phenomenal that Jesus died from our sins. But it's even more wonderful, even more amazing, even more spectacular that he didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later, and that means he's alive. Uh, today, kids, we're going to talk about how we as grown-ups sometimes forget about the reality that Jesus is actually alive, that his resurrection matters not just a long time ago, but it matters today. It matters tomorrow. It matters every single day that Jesus is alive. He is here. He is present with us. We're going to talk about that. And so go home, ask your parents about that. Talk to them about how we can, as families, as followers of Jesus, live out the realities of Jesus' resurrection, not just on Easter, but every single day of the year. If you would, go and open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's going to be some slides behind me that will have these verses on them. Again, that's Luke chapter 24, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 12 this morning. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen." Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's pray together this morning. God, we thank you that you have given us your word uh, for our instruction, for our encouragement, um, so that we might know you, so that we might have a relationship with you, so that we might commune with you. So we pray this morning that you would 
use this passage to do just that, that you would, you would instruct us, you would encourage us, you would uh, draw us closer into relationship with you through the reality of the resurrection this morning. We pray that you would help us to, to celebrate the good news of Easter uh, well today, uh, and that that celebration wouldn't stop today, but would be a reality that we live out each and every day of our lives. Jesus, we thank you that you came. We thank you that you stood in our place uh, as you obediently lived your life to your Father, and you stood in our place as you died under the weight and penalty of our sin, that you have freed us, and that you rose again three days later announcing your victory over sin and death and Satan, announcing the reality that we have been set free. And so we pray that you would help us to live in those realities that you have made for us, that you have purchased for us. We pray now that you would send your spirit another one of those realities that you have bought for us through your death and resurrection, that you would send your spirit to empower us and enable us to understand your word this morning and to worship you rightly because of it, to respond rightly to it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I want to start this morning by, by sharing with you all uh, what, what I feel like is one of my um, kind of greatest moments of parenting failure, uh, at least that I remember. There's, there's surely lots of them, but this one like sticks in my mind very, very vividly. Um, it wasn't, wasn't that long ago, and one of our daughters, whose name I'm not going to give you to protect the innocent and from embarrassment and all that stuff, um, she was having, having nightmares, bad dreams. Um, and they, they, were, they were just kind of, kind of recurring. It kept happening. There was several nights in a row where this would take place. And we tried to, like, talk her through it and would encourage her to, to pray and ask, ask God to help, ask Jesus to take away the scary dreams. And then, like, one, one night when it was particularly bad, I kind of said some of the same things that I had been saying to her. And she looked at me and she said, Dad, Jesus can't help. He can't take away the scary dreams. He can't, like, he, he can't do anything. And I was like, why do you feel that way? And she looked at me and she said, because Jesus is dead. And dead people can't help. And like, in that moment, like, I was wrecked by that. By the fact that she, she felt that way. And on the, on the one hand, it was so discouraging. And it was discouraging because Jen and I have this, this ongoing uh, conversation where pretty much every Sunday after service, we go home and we make lunch in the kitchen and our girls are eating their food and Jen's getting her lunch ready. And then I'll just kind of walk over to her with some trepidation and say, what did you think about the sermon today? (laughs) And often she says, you talked a lot about Jesus' death and what that means for us, but you forgot the resurrection or you didn't emphasize it enough. And so in this moment with our daughter, like at night, she says, 
Jesus is dead, I think, Jen is right. And I don't like that. I don't like being face-to-face with the reality that I haven't instructed my kids enough about the realities of Jesus' resurrection. I don't like having to come to grips with that. So it was discouraging. But on the other hand, it was incredibly encouraging because the solution was right there in front of me, right? She just needed the truth. She thought that Jesus was dead. She didn't think that he could help because he wasn't alive. It wasn't a lack of faith. It wasn't disbelief. It wasn't unbelief. It was just a lack of information. And so I was able to to share the whole gospel with her and talk to her about the reality that Jesus did die, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later. He's alive right now, and it's because he's alive that he can help us. It's because he's alive that he can take away the scary dreams. And she hasn't really struggled with it since. I don't know that that's because of her faith or just a good gift of us from God of showing us that when we preach the gospel to our kids, he responds with favor. Um, And so the reason why I bring that up this morning is because I think that as grown-ups, as kids, as adults, as all of us, we often live our lives functionally in the same way that she was trying to deal with those dreams. We live in the realities of Jesus' death, but we often forget about the fact that he's alive. We often forget that because he's alive, he's able to help. He's eager to help. He's always, always, always at the right hand of the Father, interceding, mediating, uh, working with his Father on our behalf. We often don't live as if he's actually alive. And so today, I want us on Easter Sunday, to sit in the realities of the resurrection, that he is alive and what that means for us. And so we're going to walk through this passage in Luke, and then we're going to look quickly at a couple of verses in Hebrews that kind of drive these truths home for us this morning. So the first thing we see in this passage is that uh, Mary and the other women, they go to the tomb at dawn. They had kind of prepared some spices to anoint Jesus' body for burial. Then the Sabbath came, and so they rested. And then the very next morning, they're headed to the tomb. And when they get there, they see the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they do what, what any of us probably would have done if we were in their place. They go up to the tomb and they peek inside. They want to see what's going on. They, they try to investigate it. And when they look in, they see that it's empty, that Jesus' body isn't there. And that, that perplexes them, that, that confuses them a little bit. But Luke tells us that before they've really had much time to think about that, before they've had much time to wrestle with the reality that Jesus' body is gone, these two guys show up. These two guys show up in dazzling apparel. The, the word here is that their, their clothing was like a flash of lightning. So these guys are dressed well. And the women are freaked out by these guys because they just showed up. They've got lightning flash clothing. Uh, and they assume that they're, they're messengers from heaven, which Luke is later going to confirm for us that they're angels. And so they bow their heads to the ground. They're, they're showing honor to them. But the guys speak. They say, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is risen just like he said he would. 
the messengers of God come to the women and they say, why are you expecting Jesus to be in there? Jesus said he wasn't going to be in there. Jesus said he was going to rise. What are you doing here at the tomb? But then what they say in verse 6 is, is, is really, really important. They say he's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So they say, remember what Jesus told you. They're calling them to put their faith in the word of Jesus from when he was with them. Remember that he said he was going to be arrested. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to be tried and condemned. He was going to be crucified. And he was going to rise again on the third day. They're saying, Jesus said all of this would happen. There's nothing to be confused about. There's nothing to be perplexed about. There's nothing to be worried about or anxious about. There's nothing to fret over because Jesus said that this is what was going to happen. And look at how they respond. Verse 8. And they, that's the women, they remembered his words. This isn't just a kind of shallow recollection. This is not just Jim saying like, oh yeah, Jesus said that. This is a a faith-filled remembrance. This is their mind and their heart, their whole body remembering what Jesus said. This is them hearing this message from God through these angels and believing that Jesus has risen from the dead. That's why they do what they do next. They go back to the others and they tell all these things to the eleven and the rest. They go back and they preach the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead just like he said he would. But the other eleven and the rest of the disciples they do what men have the habit of doing and they just kind of disregard it. They say, uh, you know, these are idle things. An idle tale. These, you know, those women, they're just making stuff up again. So they don't believe it. But Peter does. Peter Luke tells us, rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and went home marveling at what had happened. In this story, I imagine Peter like those like cartoon characters where there's like a cartoon character who's holding like a newspaper and all of a sudden he takes off running and then the newspaper is still like hovering in the air for a few seconds and falls, right? Peter is in there. He hears them come in. He hears them share the good news that Jesus is dead and he is out the door because he believes that Jesus has risen from the dead. He goes to the tomb to find out for himself this good thing that they have said. And that's Peter's personality, Right? That's who he is. He's the guy that's out the door that asks questions later. But in this scenario, it causes him to go forth and see the reality of the resurrection. Luke tells us in these verses that Jesus has risen from the dead, that he's not in the tomb anymore. And this rest, the rest of the chapter, which we're going to see in a couple weeks, he's going to appear to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then he's going to appear to the rest of the disciples. And he's going to talk to them about what it means that he has risen from the dead. He's going to talk to them about how it's not just that he has predicted that that was what was going to happen, but the whole Old Testament was pointing forward to these realities that they are walking in now. But let's flip over to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read verses 14 through 16. Again, that's Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 14 through 16. Since then, 
we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're not going to dive super deep into these verses this morning. We're looking at a couple things. Uh, There's a sermon on our website where we've done that before, and so if you want to go further with these, there's a place you can do that. But this morning, what I want us to see in these verses is the present reality of them. So the first thing we should notice is the present tense, right? The author of Hebrews says, we have a great high priest. Not we had, not we used to have, not once upon a time we did have, but we have, we, we currently, right now, in the present, in this moment, we have a great high priest. The reason why he can say that this way is because Jesus is alive, because he rose from the dead. That's why we have a great high priest, because he is alive and he's our high priest. He says, because we have a great high priest, because Jesus is alive and he's our high priest. Let us hold fast to our confession. Let us stand firm in our faith. And he's going to give us a reason for this. Verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he says that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. And he's going to give us a couple reasons for that. The first reason why Jesus is able to sympathize, us with, sympathize with us in our weaknesses is because he was tempted in every way as we are, yet is without sin. Think about the reality of that statement. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. So in, in every way that we are tempted, Jesus was tempted. So that means... That all the temptation that I've ever faced in my life, all the temptation that I will ever face in my life, Jesus has faced. But Hebrews doesn't just talk about me. It says he was tempted as, as we are. So that's all the temptation that I've ever faced and will ever face, plus all the temptation that you have ever faced or will ever face, plus all the temptation of someone else and someone else and someone else and someone else and someone else. And so we've got all the temptation that anyone ever has faced or will ever face. That's a lot of temptation. But Jesus still faced more than that. In order to get that, we need to think about fishing. When you go fishing, you have a a rod, and you have a reel, and you have line, and you have bait or a lure or whatever. And if you go to, to Walmart or you go to a store online and you try to buy fishing line, what you'll find out is that fishing line is rated by a thing called pound test. That's basically saying this line can hold this much strength before it snaps. So if you use two-pound test and you catch a five-pound fish, there's a pretty good chance that line is going to snap. If you use eight-pound test and you can't catch a five-pound fish, you're probably going to be able to reel it in. 
And so if you have, say, two-pound test on your line and you catch a hundred-pound fish, you're never, ever, ever, ever going to experience all the fight and strength and weight of that fish because that line is going to snap before you get anywhere close to it. We, as people, are like two-pound tests. Temptation comes along and we fight and we fight and we fight, empowered by the Spirit, and sometimes we give in. But we don't experience the full weight of that temptation unless we beat it every single time. Jesus, when it comes to sin, is like infinite pound test. He never, ever, ever gave in. So the temptation he faced kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger until he conquered it and killed it once and for all. That is why we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he has been tempted in every single possible way imaginable, so much greater than any temptation that we have faced. So he is in a place that he can sympathize with us in our temptation because he has faced it and beat it. There's also another reason why Jesus is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. It's what we're celebrating this morning. Because he's alive. Because he is our great high priest. He is able to help us when we face temptation. He's able to take away the scary dreams because he's alive. He's risen from the dead. He is there in heaven right now interceding on our behalf and always will be. That's not going to end. That's not going to go away because He has risen from the dead. He has risen to a new kind of life that doesn't ever end. It's because of that He is our great high priest. It's because of that that He's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. So verse 16 tells us what we should do about that. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the first question we should ask about this verse is when are we in a place where we are in need of grace and mercy? When are we in a time of need? All the time. So when should we be people who draw near the throne of grace? All the time. And we can confidently draw near the throne of grace because it's a throne of grace. And why is it a throne of grace? Because Jesus is there. And that's who he is. So for us this morning, the realities of the resurrection teach us that Jesus is alive. That he is there at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding on our behalf. He's been tempted in every way as we are, yet is without sin. And because of that, he's able to sympathize with us in any weakness that we have. And in any place that we have weakness, he has strength. And so he's the one that can help us. He's the only one that can help us. And so why would we go anywhere else? Why would we look anywhere else? Why would we turn anywhere else when he is there waiting at a throne of grace to receive us into his presence, to usher us into the presence of his Father? 
He welcomes us. He invites us with open arms because He is alive and He's there. And that's never going to change. And so it's my hope that we would be people who live in the realities of the resurrection. That we remember not just that Jesus died to save us from our sins, but that He rose again and helps us fight them. That he didn't just die so that we could have our sins paid for and and be brought into relationship with God, but he rose again and is alive so that we actually can have a relationship with God. His resurrection means that all of the realities of the gospel are true and they are realities that we can participate in because he is alive and mediates them on our behalf. And so this morning, as we continue in this service, know that we worship a God who is alive. And I know that I'm not telling you anything that you don't know this morning. But just like the women at the tomb, we need to be reminded of the things that Jesus has told us because we forget them. And we need the Spirit to do for us what the Spirit did for them, enable them to have that mind and heart, whole body, faith-filled remembrance of the things that Jesus said. Jesus said he was going to die, and he said he was going to rise again, and he did. And we get to celebrate those truths together this morning. So let's pray together, and then we'll continue with the Lord's Supper and, and worshiping Jesus together this morning because he is alive. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are not a a, a concept or a theological principle or a proposition, but that you are a person who is alive, who we can have relationship with, who, who desires to have a relationship with us, who's eager to help us. Jesus, we thank you that you are our great high priest that you have been in the past, that you are in the present, and that you will be in the future. We pray that you would send your Spirit this morning and this afternoon and tomorrow and this week, and you would cause us to remember that we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, who, who, who beckons us to your throne of grace that we might receive the grace and the mercy and the help that we always need. Jesus, we thank you that you haven't left us alone, but that you're alive and you are for us and you are with us. And that there is nothing in all of your creation that can change that. We pray that you would meet with us now, that we would celebrate your death and your resurrection and sing songs of worship to you as we commune with you together this morning as your people who are called according to your name. 
It's in your name we pray. And because of your life and death and resurrection. Amen.